Welcome back to Chai Boost. Samay here, and I wanted to take a quick second and thank you for your continuous support of Chai Boost. It means the absolute world to me that you're joining us on this journey. Before we hop into the episode, I wanted to highlight our social media pages. You can now follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Chai Boost Podcast, where I'll be highlighting episodes and introducing new guests. Give us a follow today to stay up to date with the latest Chai Boost news. Thank you for your endless support. And most importantly, don't forget to grab a cup of chai, sit back, relax, and listen to the latest episode of Chai Boost. My guest today has a we have a very special connection. It's over kind of something that's a lot different than music, but it's fundamentally the same. It's creating art in different various forms. So um, my guest today is a producer. He's a mixer who pulls inspiration from many, many cultures, many, many different backgrounds and kind of hones in on his on his technical skill and ability to make something that's, that's his own. And although it's unique for him, it's also very meaningful to the others around him because his main forte is creating mixes for Pangra teams, which is a Northern Indian folk dance that's rapidly spreading across, you know, the United States and across the rest of the world. And my guest today makes mixes for them. So not only does it create meaning for for us to have this conversation and for him, but it's for kind of the teams that he's he's participating with and everyone that's around him. So without further ado, please welcome my guest for today, Vineeth Gamath, or as many of you may know him even better, Swiss Cheesy. Hey, how you guys doing? Awesome. So I think kind of before we start really talking about anything, I kind of just want to talk about like how you got the inspiration for the name Swiss Cheesy. I know it's like, <laughs> you probably get this question like a million times, but I just kind of want to like ask you just this one extra time about it. Yeah, yeah, no, I'll I'll keep the story short and simple. So basically, uh, back in high school, I used to make rap music. Um, so I used to rap under the alias Young Sweezy. So uh, one day I was at lunch uh, with uh, one of my good friends from high school and he saw that I was stacking up extra slices of cheese on my burger. So without really thinking about it, he was just like, oh, if you ever become a producer, you should make your producer named Swiss Cheesy. And my response to that was, haha, that's never going to happen. <laughs> um, fast forward like three years, uh, sophomore year of college. Um, so my, my dance team. So I, uh, I went to Cornell uh, and danced for Cornell Bungra. Um, and the, the, the team needed basically a mixtape. So we, a mixtape is basically, if there's a competition, you, uh, the, the competition puts out essentially like a 10 to 20 minute kind of track that mixes up a bunch of songs. Uh, I'm not really too sure how that, how that tradition started, but basically the competition that we host called Pau Bungra, uh, had a um basically needed a mixtape as well and the mixer that was supposed to mix for that mixtape basically fell through last minute so then the uh at that time um i guess director for that show who then also later became my co-captain she was like beneath i am going to challenge you to make the mixtape for us because she sees she saw that i was kind of messing around with uh logic pro which is the audio editing software that i use so I basically made the mixtape for that competition and also started mixing for the team. And I guess in doing so, I saved the team a bunch of money. Um, 
And basically I released all these mixes on SoundCloud and I didn't know what to release them under. So I was like, oh, haha, there was that one story from high school where <laughs> my friend said that I was going to be Swiss cheesy. So I just released it under the alias Swiss cheesy on SoundCloud. And um, a few months pass and my team basically surprised me with Swiss cheesy merch and made me a logo and everything. And uh, <laughs> at this point I was like, if I keep mixing, I can't back down. This has got to be my name now. Um, yeah. And I think it kind of gives me a slight unique advantage because it isn't really like, I guess, a cool sounding name. It's just, it's, it's something that you really wouldn't expect. So um, it makes for a good conversation and be kind of uh, helps pique people's interest when they're looking for mixers, I guess. Yeah, no, for sure. Just a fun fact, anyone that's listening, Vinit's also doing our mix <laughs> for the Pangra team I'm on. Um, I think we all like religiously just call him Swiss cheesy. We don't even refer to him by his name. So it's just like, it's just this, this thing that I think everyone just started doing. I think it's easier to just refer to you as Swiss cheesy because it's like popping up everywhere now. But I think it's, it's oh, yes. a... <laughs> sometimes I'll be on call and people will just be like, yo, Swiss. And I have to like take a second. And I guess nowadays, if anyone says the word Swiss, that's just my second name now. Even yeah. if someone's not referring to me, I'll just turn my head and be like, oh, do you say my name? <laughs> No, yeah, no, for sure. It's it's one of those things where it's like you get stuck with like like you hear like the stories all the time, like people get funny stage names or funny nicknames, and it's just like they they never stick. I think this is like a perfect example of one that does stick, and it like weirdly <laughs> does like it's it's very successful because it's everyone else in like the circuit and like other producers and stuff they have like very like like prominent names. It's just Swiss cheesy. It's different. It's unique. It like. It like you can you can recognize it when you hear it, which is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> That's good. Yeah, to know I kind for of, the brand. No, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think kind of like kind of going off that like any time talk about like in high school or you dance for Cornell. Like if you want to talk a little bit about your background or kind of how you started mixing and like your whole musical journey. If you know how like I know we've talked before and there's like many different facets of it that play a role into like how you got into mixing and your passion for it. So. I'll kind of hand it over to you. So, Yeah, uh, I guess so. I started, I guess, my musical journey uh, when I started playing the piano at the tender age of three. I don't know <laughs> why I started so early. My parents put me in classes. Um, at this time, I actually lived in Japan. So um, I, oh, cool. I was born in India, moved to Japan for some time, and then came to the U.S. And uh, yeah, so I started playing piano. Um, I think my in fourth or fifth grade, um, through the high school, I, or I guess through the school district, I started learning the viola. Um, we had a particularly successful uh, K-12 orchestra program in my school district. So, um, you know, people were very competitive. And uh, at, at a certain point, I realized that I really liked viola more than I liked playing piano. So I dropped piano, put all my efforts into viola. Um, and in doing so, I think I gained an appreciation for kind of instrumental or um, instrument arrangements, I guess, in terms of how do you combine sound and how do you put um, something that maybe has, you know, occupies a particular frequency range with something that occupies a different frequency range? Um, when do things collide and clash? When do things actually come together and make something that's mellifluous? So um, that, that was kind of my orchestral journey. Also played orchestra uh, all four years of college and um, yeah, I guess I started mixing kind of sophomore year of college when I realized kind of how accessible it is. Uh, all I had to do was just download a software and start playing around with it. And uh, I guess the rest is history. I, um, 
I, I realized that by, by listening to DDN, which is the Desi Dance Network, there's, you know, various mixers for various circuits. You know, there's Bhangra, there's also Aras, there's Bollywood Fusion, there's, uh, I guess, also workshops of various styles everywhere. And I think uh, by listening to some of my peers, I realized that there's really such a large world, um, you know, it's boundless what you can put together. Uh, just earlier today, before this podcast, I was working on something that was mixing like Afro beats with like 70s Bollywood music. You really, there's there's no... There's no, there's no limit to what you can put together. Sometimes you might even hear me throw like Japanese music in bunker mixes, um, much to the distaste of certain people. But you know, <laughs> that's that's me. <laughs> it, it's 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 acquired for some, but the more different it is, I think the better it is. So fair enough, fair enough. So yeah, yeah that's, no. that's kind of my musical journey. No, that's awesome. It's so nice to hear someone's background that also has a background like classical instrumentation. I, I play clarinet, so I've been playing clarinet for, oh God, I didn't expect to do math in this episode. I think like 12, <laughs> 13 years, I want to say, uh, I've been doing, I've been playing clarinet, so it's, okay. I think it's it's something similar. Like at the beginning, my mom brought me to the petting zoo, which was like, they give oh, you a bunch of yeah. wooden instruments and they're like, blow some air, figure out what feels the best. And my mom goes, that feels nice. And I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> so I kind of just like rolled with it. And then I think over the years, it kind of just like, built up over time so not even like technical ability but like my my ability to resonate with it I think like expanded over time and then in high school I took AP music theory and that was the first time I was told to deal with like really different things like I've always been in band or symphony orchestra so it's like me and like the three people that I sit next to and now I'm dealing with music from around the world and composers and everything so it was definitely an experience so like when i remember you like even like when you talked about it it was just something that's like it just struck a chord in me i guess no pun intended but like <laughs> it kind of like um like it just like made sense like it's like i think the ability to be able to learn so much through music about the world and different cultures and trying to mesh that together is it's really cool um yeah so for someone who has a background in kind of classical music or kind of performing on on stage um, how did you get into mixing and kind of creating music that's able to resonate with people of so many like different backgrounds? Yeah, I mean, honestly, the thing with mixing, right, it's for me, I think mixing began as a journey of just like kind of listening to music, listening to what the music has to say to me and uh, basically just putting stuff together that makes something just sound better to me, to me personally, right? Um, I think the empowering thing about mixing is when I throw two things together and make something new that sounds good to me, uh, when someone likes that on SoundCloud or reposts that on Instagram or something like that, that's basically someone else on the other side of the world telling me, hey, I agree with your taste in music. <laughs> that's basically what, <laughs> that's, that's what it is, right? Um, I'm not, I'm not, so sometimes I'll make mixes that kind of have um, some meaning outside of just sounding good, but um I guess for me, it was just like, oh, I see the potential in multiple things being put together. I see the potential in, you know, for example, me playing uh, viola, a track that I play on viola with some trap beat, working with some Punjabi song. Like it just, sometimes it just works and sometimes it just sounds good. And that there's, there, it's really hard to kind of explain further uh, what it is because at the end of the day, it's just what sounds good. <laughs> no, for sure. I think it's, 
I, I, I understand what you're saying when, like, when you were kind of talking about, like, I think creativity is one of those things where it just kind of comes to you sometimes. And I feel like when you're forcing yourself to push the boundaries of creativity, you start to feel like you're in like a, a little bit of like a, like a creative block. I want to, like, I like to think of it that way. So even like with the podcast, remember mm-hmm. when I first started, I was like, I have an idea, but I don't know what, what I'm going to do with it. So you kind of just like let it ponder and then just like, it's like a big puzzle. So just like a bunch of pieces and fitting them together and everything. But um, I know you just mentioned like you kind of put like your own twist on it, right? So you put like a viola track over like mainstream Punjabi music, like kind of for the circuit in general, like when you make mixes for teams, since you deal with music that's like already produced and kind of published and like in the market already, how do you add your own flair to those productions and make it something that's unique to you? Hmm. Yeah, so um, I think something you said earlier just now about puzzle pieces fitting together, that kind of struck a chord with me, no pun intended, <laughs> because I think what I started, I started mixing as thinking, oh, um, songs that, you know, songs are fully produced, and they are puzzle pieces, and I need to find, you know, puzzle pieces to put them together. I think over time, my view on mixing has changed. I think as I learn new techniques, um, things that I can do to kind of make the sound um, of a pre-produced song different. Uh, I've realized that I have a lot more power as a mixer to actually dictate what that puzzle piece could even look like. So, you know, at the various simplest level, maybe I can change the EQ, the equalizer, which is basically just saying how much of any frequency I'm letting through from a particular song. Um, another thing that I can do is, uh, you know, AI has gotten really good. So you can actually strip music um, and just have vocals. So say that I just want the vocals from a particular song in the in front of a track and like the instrumentals clashing with whatever is already there, I can do that. So I think um, there's there's a lot more ways to to kind of mold the sound to your particular liking. And mixing is just a journey of learning um, both scientifically as well as um, intuitively by applying a particular filter, how does that sound change? So for me, my journey in, mi- music, in, mi- in mixing has been basically learning intuitively as well as kind of mathematically, what am I doing to these sound waves um, by applying this particular filter? Say I'm applying an exciter or applying like uh, some sort of a high pass filter. Like what is that doing to the actual sound wave. And then also what is it doing in terms of how the sound sounds to me, right? Like the human element of it. And uh, I guess the second part of your question was um, stuff that is already produced, right? I think that's something that a lot of new mixers kind of struggle with sometimes. I definitely struggled with this a lot when I came in is uh, I think as, as, as humans, uh, our ears tend to be very stimulated by particular frequencies, by particular melodies, particular chord progressions. And a lot of it, a lot of times when mixers first start, they just like throwing a bunch of stuff together because they're like, oh, there's good bass here. There's good bass here. Let's throw stuff together. And um, spoiler alert, that's that's a very, <laughs> that, that leads <laughs> to very cantankerous sounding uh, mixes. <laughs> so it's important to understand the power of, subtractivity rather than just adding right subtracting particular things can sometimes give the music space to breathe and give it kind of the um the the i guess the background from which it can pop out if the background is just noise then you can't 
selectively bring out the parts of the mix that you want to actually sound good. Right. I think it's, it's a very intuitively, it sounds like that's what every producer wants to think is the way you're thinking, but you're hundred percent right. If you just take a look at like, especially music, that's very like mainstream fundamentally, I think they're all similar. If you break it down by soprano, alto, tenor, bass, like the chord progressions for so many songs are so similar when they like compose it. It's crazy. Um, but I think like, yeah, sometimes, <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's pretty neat when, like when you were just talking about kind of you know, putting your own twist on it and it's like having that much technical ability. Do you feel like that's definitely one thing that sets you apart from other mixers that you've like talked to in the past? Um, I would like to think that it gives me some sort of an edge. Um, and I think I definitely don't want to be like a musical purist saying that one must have, you know, um, a musical background or must have some sort of, uh, music theory under their belt to actually start doing something like this. Uh, but at the same time, I think that's kind of what makes mixing so beautiful. Cause I could listen to another mixer and I can just by listening to their mixes kind of know what their you know, what, what kind of turns them on, right? What is, what is right. the thing that is pleasing to their ear? Um, there are certain mixers where I can really hear like very full bass lines, very fat bass lines. Others have very accurate, very precise, very like sine wave bass lines. You can kind of hear then like, oh, this person appreciates very simple basses, or maybe this person really appreciates rugged and kind of raunchy basses, right? Um, and yeah, I would say my, my musical theory background does help in certain cases. And I definitely played to that because a lot of my mixing is uh, just mixing melodies and mixing uh, tunes and chord progressions together. Um, but I also think at times actually it detracts from mixing because I feel like it. Um, I get so sucked in sometimes in just focusing on melody that I haven't spent enough time, I think, so far developing maybe my ability to produce a good 808 or my ability to uh, diversify my portfolio of trap beats or my, um, and particularly in Pongra mixing, it's very important to have a strong presence of dole. And that's something that has been elusive to me for a long time. I wouldn't say that I'm in, you know, incapable of doing so, but I just, you know, sometimes I spent too much time just on the melody and then there are important parts of mixes that I let go because particularly my upbringing, right? Being someone who's a classical musician, particularly in an orchestra, and also being surrounded by uh, classical Hindustani classical singers in my household. So, um, you know, matching rag is like something that's very important to me personally. Um, yeah, I think in a way it's both, uh, it's a double-edged sword having that, um, having that ability and that background. Right. I think... Um... I think, especially for me as well, I think growing up, like, before I got into, like, instrumental music and, like, the whole classical setting, I was raised by, like, my grandparents as well. So, similarly to you, it was a lot of, like, Muhammad Rafi at home. It was a lot of, like, <laughs> like, Gawali music, like, a lot of, like, old, ah. like, Pajan hymns, all, all that stuff. And it was, like, a whole, like, melting pot. I remember, like, for the first, like, many years of my life, I want to say the first six seven years of my life like i was just surrounded by like that sound like that environment where it's just these like m like just so like melodically heavy 
like pieces that were written from like the 60s and 70s and then when i got into playing in like a band or like picking up a clarinet for the first time being able to like match that energy felt like kind of a, a good fit at the time because i feel like with mainstream music they're produced differently they're composed differently but for someone especially with a classical background i think it's easier to kind of at least for me to mesh those like ideas together because like the harmony is similar and then the balance is similar. And like, even if you think of like the timbres for some of the instruments, like I think one thing that I really find interesting in your mix is like, there's a really good balance of like what instrument sounds you're using as well. I know we were talking previously and you said you could use don't be pretty heavily and, and like dull as well, but it just kind of like for me as well, like, I remember growing up, it was, that's all I was like listening to for the first so many, like my grandpa had this old like Sony like boombox but, like they used to play like, CDs and cassettes ah, and he'd play like they get like the, the traditional like you know and it was like he play, used to play like the most like out like out of the blues things like he'd play like a non-sami so like at the time it was like newer Bollywood film-ish music and then he'd switch like complete tracks and he'd play like Kishore Kumar like two seconds later and then I was like raised like this melting pot of just like what to listen to, what not, what not to listen to. Like I know, um, I think just kind of focusing on like your like technical ability as well. For someone that comes like from outside of the circuit or like outside of like Bhangra, how did you get into listening to like Punjabi music and learning so much about like the technical aspect of it? So uh, it's funny that you bring that up because I think, as you're probably well aware, um, there's definitely like a rivalry between like North and South India in terms of who <laughs> makes better music, I feel. Uh, and I mean, that that's one thing that I think like a lot of people that aren't Indian or haven't been around Indian culture enough don't really appreciate is that even within India, there's such a large di- diversity in sound, um, obviously a large diversity of people. But as a result of that, also a large diversity of instruments, a large diversity of uh, um, uh, melodic content, uh, percussion, right? So uh, I think like as I grew up, my parents were like really big Bollywood fans and they really appreciated like Hindustani classical music. And uh, for some reason, uh, they had this like adversity to like listening to oh, adversity, adversity. They were averse to listening to <laughs> Punjabi music. I don't really understand why, but there was like, it's, it's not like there was any hatred there. It was more just like, a, oh, this is our culture. We should listen to our culture's music. Um, so when I went into, you know, college and I joined this Bhangra team and I was like listening to, uh, you know, Punjabi music, it was, it was definitely like a, it was a learning curve. At first I was like, oh, this is very different music. It would be like if you had someone who listened to, um, you know, pop music or not even pop music, I would say like country music their entire life and then have them just suddenly start listening to hip-hop it's a very different sound at first it's almost a little uh, you know it's because of that unfamiliarity you almost are uh, driven away from it but after a while I started learning to kind of you know because of the fact that I was dancing to this music I started appreciating uh, what what the character of that sound was it it was a sound that made me dance in a very different way uh, made me move in a different way than stuff like Bollywood music and I think over time, uh, I grew to appreciate that link because the thing is, even within Bhangra music, there's such a large diversity of emotions, uh, tempos, em- uh, you know, just what you can express in Bhangra, right? It's, it's, 
going from Tamal to Jumur to Ludi, like every single thing uh, has a very different characteristic. <clears throat> so <clears throat> I started learning that, hey, um, you know, it's, Pokhara is not one dimensional. And I think with that was that was the thing that kind of helped me latch onto it. I was like, oh, there's so many emotions that I can express through my dancing. And I can only do that because of the music that's providing it. So for me, it was empowering to become a mixer and actually start channeling those very emotions that I wanted to dance to and put them into the actual music that I was going to be dancing to. Um, and I think also to go back to the point of the you know uh, diversity within um, within Indian music, I think someone made a very interesting comment the other day, and uh, I'm curious to hear what people think about this, but... They said Bollywood music is uh, is is anal- analogous to pop music in the West, whereas um, Punjabi music is almost analogous to hip hop. And I thought about it for a while, and it 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 kind of agreed with me a little bit because some of newer Punjabi music, it's 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 so interesting to hear what Punjabi music has become. You start hearing these like boom bat beats. It's almost like you hear like Tupac Tupac and like, you know, uh Kaka like just playing together, right? And it just it just works. It just works. Right. No yeah. for sure. I agree with that. I hundred percent agree with that. That's I think that's interesting. Like that's a very interesting way to think about it. Because I think Bollywood music, because of also like its scale and how many people that it's able to reach, mm-hmm. I think that also plays a role into why there's that much of like glamour associated with the music. Like the music videos, mm-hmm. the movies, like they're all like way more like technically advanced than they were many, many years ago. Even like when I was growing up, like early 2000s, it was like okay, like, Bollywood's, like, starting to emerge more into pop culture, like, spreading across the, the world, and the young, like, I, I've i never been to, like, India, so I've always been in the U.S., so, like, especially, like, oh. like some of the people I grew up with, it was always, like, just, just, like, Bollywood, or, like, whatever movies are going up, like, even, like, Punjabi films, like, everything that's going on, but I think mm-hmm. even recently, um, like, the more, like, I think there's a rise of Punjabi artists right now, too, and they're all trying to but like a Western spin on how Punjabi music is traditionally like received. Like I'm a huge Gurdasman fan. And so <laughs> the, the music today is not a lot, not lot, not like Gurdasman music, but it's like, it's very different in its own form. So there's like new artists, like, I don't know, Diggy Panu is out there. Sukha is out there, <laughs> but these like newer, like younger, like rappers that are like trying to put their own spin on it. So like they kind of, how you were saying there's, the production style is completely different. The people that they're partnering with are completely different. And then like, even like with mixes, I think that's like the best part about it. So growing up, I was always around my uncle. We grew up in, in Long Island in New York. So my uncle went to college in Queens. So he was friends with like a bunch of like his Punjabi friends and they all used to do Pangra together. And I kind of grew up in that environment. So back then they used to dance to like, not what we dance to now. They used to dance like Lambert Hosanpuri and like, Oh. Um, like Miss Puja was like Jazzy B. Like they were all like super, super, super prominent in like early 2000s. And then now like it's interesting to see that that sort of like era of Punjabi music is coming back. And it's they're able to put a spin on it with some of the newer guys. So 
I think like a lot of mixes as well. There, there's like a good mesh of, of that. Like there's the thing that's really interesting to me is like the mixes that also take inspiration from other parts of the world. I think like Frishte at Bruin did like they had like Rihanna at one point like in oh, their mix like yep, they had Halo. Halo. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, that's pretty cool. <clears throat> that was like the first set like that got me interested in doing Pangara like collegiately and learning more. I think I was a complete outsider to the kind of whole circuit as well. And I wasn't sure how to get in, who to talk to, but I always knew that it's something that I'm able to resonate with like culturally and like music wise. But I think it's just like, it's a really beautiful like mesh of like different forms of art coming together to like put on like a, a show, which is pretty cool. But yeah, I definitely agree with like what that person was saying for sure. Yeah, definitely. That 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 first they set set off a lot of careers. I feel like a lot of people uh, really got into Bungar as a result of that. And I think like for for me when I came in, like all of the rage was like uh, those WBBC and uh, performances by Cornell. Uh, also, like I think they went on like America's Got Talent or something. So it's just it's so interesting to see like also with through the years how the dance has evolved because it, it went from something that was very gimmicky. Um, relatively low energy compared to compared to what it is now to like now very much focusing on the the particular dance itself. Um, I guess a lot of people would refer to that as more folk. Um, I, I can't comment on that because I don't really, I, I would say uh, I, I've met a bunch of Punjabi people that actually came from India to, to college here. And they say like, Oh, this is nothing like what, you know, what, what, what Bhangra is like actually, in india so it's interesting to see how far it's also and i wouldn't even say strayed because strayed almost has like a negative connotation to it i think it's evolved it's changed a lot right. uh, as a result of kind of what people like to listen to yeah like to 100 percent. Right? right i think it's similar for music in bollywood as well i think it's going like a similar transformation like my i remember vividly like one day i was coming home from like elementary school and my my like, grandparents were sitting on the couch listening to Mr. India songs. It was like the most like random like 2 p.m. on like a Tuesday event that was going on <laughs> in our house. And I like walked in and for some reason like that one memory is very like vivid in my mind. But like like that's like what I always like associate to it. I think of like folk Bollywood music, even like folk Punjabi music, right? Like we grew up listening to old, old Punjabi music like even like branching out into like different areas like Pakistan and like all those regions at the time that were like that pulled inspiration from all that, like Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan and all them. I think today mm-hmm. it's like it's a very interesting time to be alive because it's like everyone is trying to put their own spin on what they think is unique. And it's interesting, it's, it's interesting to see like especially songwriters and like artists that are starting from nothing and all they have is like inspiration just to kind of like come up with something that can set them apart. And I think that makes it beautiful for us as well, because we're able to put our spin on that as well, especially like for you, you're able to take new open dubbing music and still put it into a mix and take like two completely different like styles of music and mesh it together, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, no, I think I, I like what you said about the Bollywood part too, because, you know, uh, I remember the first time I heard the song like Suraj Dubahe, like the, the instance sound. Mm-hmm. Um, there's what other song there's the 
Yeah, there, 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 there's a few songs that like kind of came out around that like late high school, early college. Personally, for me, that that's my timeline. When I and I was when I was listening to them, I was like, "What? It, this sounds just like a Western EDM song, right?" And it's crazy to see like all of those, all of those things like be incorporated. And sometimes, I mean, I do have to say, sometimes I listen to it and it thinks it sounds almost like a caricature of what you know real EDM music sounds like. But sometimes I'm like, yeah, they got it spot on. Like they, they're playing to the audience. And I think of, uh, I, I I listened to like what my dad used to say about like music and its diaspora into India. And, you know, he was, he was born late sixties. And I remember like, he was telling me about how in the seventies and eighties uh, people used to, you know, play Michael Jackson on the radio once in a while. Then like, sometimes they'll play like um, in the nineties, a lot of that, like, electronic influence from America kind of also made its way into India. And you literally see like, like maybe there's a five or 10 year gap between what the West is doing and how, and then you see kind of how Bollywood tries to copy it in certain places. And to me, it's beautiful to see what Bollywood composers do with it because I would be remiss to say that they just copy it. I think they sometimes put an Indian spin on it. And regardless of what you think about it, it is very much still Indian music in a weird way. Um, I, you know, some people listen to it and go like, oh, they're bastardizing, you know, Indian identity or whatnot. But like, in my opinion, I th- if that's what people want to listen to, and if that's what people want to bop to, then so be it, right? That's, that's just where Indian music is going. And well, Bollywood music in particular. Um, and there's nothing really anyone can do about that, right? No, right, hundred percent. The trajectory of it is very is very interesting. Like, even like in in mixes today, it's it's something similar. I think that's one thing that, like, I, I find really interesting about like your mixing style as well. Like, you're taking like music that's spanning decades, sometimes from like decades apart, and different styles, and kind of putting it together. I think it's a very special thing to be able to put different cultures together. I think especially in like the time that we like are living in and there's a lot of stuff going on in the world. And in a time where there's like not a lot of unity, I feel like Bhangra for a lot of people is that, is that safe place where they can just come and not only be introduced to a different culture or even learn more about their own culture, but also like kind of learn more about like the world in a sense. Um, I think uh, mixes play a huge role in that kind of how you're saying about Bollywood. Like I, I agree with that. Even like, I think even like Punjabi music as well, it's like, regardless of what you think about it, it originates from one place. Like it comes from this one place where the culture is just all people know and trying to extrapolate that concept and apply that to other like, groups and organizations around the world like Bhangra teams or Ross teams or fusion teams I think it's it's very nice to see that like that like blend of cultures and that blend of mindsets is coming together and especially for someone that kind of grew I grew up in like western North Carolina um so it was Mm -hmm. not the world's most diverse place um so I think I always grew up kind of facing that challenge myself where it was like I grew up listening to different people. I have a different cultural identity than you do, but hey, I'm still willing to kind of put my own spin on it and put two and two together and kind of see what happens out of it. So I think 
kind of going back to the classical music thing, I think that was maybe my outlet into it. I would like to see somebody do like a Mozart and like Diljit Dosanjh mix one day. That would be pretty cool. Um, <laughs> just like random thoughts. It's but... funny you mentioned that because I actually think I put a Dvorak uh, piece in a recent mix that I made. I can't recall which one it was, but yeah, no, I, I oh, really find myself just totally pulling from like classical music from God knows when. So when you said decades, technically centuries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. No, because music has been around for so long. <laughs> No, that's and, so true. Uh, yeah, go ahead. No, it's just like, it's crazy. That's like, it's so many years worth of things. And people still somehow find a way to fixate on only the newest thing that comes out. I'm like, there is so many things out there that, that you can like, that, like, I don't know. An example that I heard the other day was, um, there's a Punjabi violinist, violinist called Raginder. And, um, mm-hmm. He's like like a new emerging artist, and I was listening to some of his um his music, and it's purely instrumental, like it's literally just him playing violin over like a trap beat and like these like crazy like rig sets that he like like produces, and I was like, this is something. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to listen to him rocking there. Nice. Maybe get him on the podcast. <laughs> oh right, that'll be pretty cool. <laughs> Maybe you can have him. You can do a mix with him too. That'll be pretty sick. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that would be pretty lit. Yeah. So I think of... something that you mentioned earlier about like being in a place that's like not quite the most diverse. I think my 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 uh, sort my theory, I guess, for how kind of Punjabi music, particularly like the the trappy Punjabi music, where where and how it came to be, is I I really do think like sometimes you end up in you know in an insulated area, like say that you're like in a particularly non-brown culture. Um, whatever's cool at that time, you're going to kind of assimilate, right? Um, I think a great example of someone who talks about this at length is like Hassan Minhaj. He talks about like how he got into sneaker culture, how he got into hip hop culture and how he kind of slowly developed like, uh, you know, his American identity. And after a while, I think what happens is, um, you know, you sometimes, you know, start forgetting like, oh, what is it that makes me unique? And uh, as you grow up, you kind of assimilate, right? And that's there's nothing bad about that. Uh, I think it's all part of like the the Indian American experience, the immigrant Indian American experience is coming here, kind of losing yourself for a little bit or losing kind of what you started off as. And then as you grow older, you start seeing, huh, there is stuff that is really cool about where I was from. Uh, I think a great example is like someone came up to me the other day um, or not the other day, this was a while back, back in college. And um, after a Bhangra performance, this, this this person who was not Indian came up to me and said like, oh, like, it's really cool that like, you know, the, the, the turban that you put on your head, right? It's called a bug, by the way, for anyone who doesn't know. Uh, and I, I, I remember just thinking to myself, like, how many people in my school got bullied for having, you know, for having to put on a bug? And then now growing up, like now, this sharp contrast to now, you know, wearing a bug is cool, right? Like there, uh, there, there's like that famous uh, interview clip of someone going like it, asking Diljit Dosanjh how he feels about making a pug, like making wearing a turban in the West cool, right? So I think it's really just a journey about losing yourself and then finding, huh, actually it is kind of cool. What I am is kind of cool, right? Um, I think for me, that experience was learning, hey, Bollywood music, which 
was a very big part of me growing up. And, you know, after a while, I kind of shunned it away thinking, no, that's not cool. I need to listen to hip hop. I need to be in with the kids. Right. And then after a while realizing, no, that it is pretty cool. And not only am I going to start listening to it again, I'm going to bring this in with my new identity, put it together and make something completely new. And, uh, I bet a very large amount of mixing kind of stems from that, right? Yeah, no, 100%. I think it's um, it's a very interesting thing to like retrack the way you were kind of raised in the environment you were raised in. I remember growing mm-hmm. up also, it was, you're right, it was like a very like different experience being like the only person from like your culture and from that like just listen to the same music I used to do. It's like the simple things. It's like you eat different food, you talk different languages, Sometimes you like pray in different places. Like I go to the Gurdwara and it's like nobody from high school went to the Gurdwara. So it was like, um, it was, it was a pretty like neat, like experience to think back to now, but that like shift over, I think is, is very important. I think your mixes, like your mixes, especially they have such a big impact on, especially people that are maybe not necessarily having a struggle finding themselves, but are having a little bit of a challenge, like, coming to full terms about like their cultural background or really honing in on, you know, how they were raised or who they are. I think mixes in general are really, yeah, they definitely like, are like the, like in a way, like they act as like a glue between like people and like their culture, which is pretty neat. And I think it's like, for me, that's exactly what it was. Um, Like I think doing Pangra is one thing. It's a very culturally heavy, like, like art form. It's, it's very like driven by, there's a lot of, facets that play into like culture and religion and it's like a whole like shift and i think the mixes are truly what set apart you know for people that come from outside of the culture to kind of learn more about it but also be able to connect with it in some way and i think that's like the best part about it especially from like talking to someone that also has a classical music background like i don't think i ever would have thought in my life you could combine like dorjok and like another like Punjabi artist or like a new like mainstream song like that's a very like interesting concept to me still so it's like it's a pretty like (laughs) cool thing i've been trying to like learn more about recently so yeah yeah it's that that rabbit hole can get very deep (laughs) yeah do you you ever feel like you have like a creative block because you're dealing with pre-existing pieces but you're also dealing with like different cultures and different like the needs of teams and everything do you ever feel like you're like battling yourself to put together something that's true to yourself but also meeting the needs of some like some other third party yes absolutely um the the needs of teams uh are that that that's a big thing uh obviously they're hiring me to make a mix for them which is which means that you know i have to make sure that i assimilate to what they want and give them what they need um that being said i think there there's a few times where i've i've like particularly ask teams in person like hey make sure that you've heard my stuff are you sure that you want my style because i will try to divert from my style a little bit actually very often um a good amount just to make sure that i can give my clients what they need from me but at the same time uh i if i sometimes hear people say oh i want you to make a mix like this other mixer and to that i would say like I'm not that mixer. If you want something that sounds like that mixer, then that mixer is going to make the best thing for you, right? So, but when it comes to creative blocks, right, 
Um, I definitely have situations where like people want me to make something and I know I'm capable of making it, but I just can't get it in the moment. Um, those are honestly some of my best learning experiences because the best way to push through learning, uh, push through like a, a, a creative block is just to try throwing stuff at the wall until something works. Because the thing about mixing is growing as a mixer requires you to step out of your musical comfort zone. So, uh, that does not necessarily mean put stuff together that you don't know anything about. It could mean that um, I definitely know that my repertoire of music, what I listen to is very limited and uh, it's very unique. But, you know, sometimes uh, someone will be like, oh, make it sound very intense or something like that, right? Um, or maybe like, oh, make it sound very chill. The way to do that is just to try a bunch of stuff out. Throw music that you don't think belongs there in and sometimes once in a blue moon, it'll just work. Um I remember like back in the day, like my, my particular niche or like where I felt most comfortable was throwing melodic stuff together. And I always had a really hard time making stuff sound hype and have like a trap beat or like a very strong toll presence. So I remember um, I was making a mix actually for Cornell uh, my senior year. And uh, the person who was asking me to make that mix was like, oh yeah, like make it sound more hype. And I, I didn't know what that meant in the moment. So I I remember I had to like go on a little bit of like a listening spree where I was listening to other mixers and going like, what is it that they're doing? Really being uh, both kind of uh, analytical about how they make, about listening, but also being introspective about like, what is it that makes my mixing my mixing while what is it that makes this person's mixing their mixing? And that kind of led me to realizing like, oh, you know, like I think the thing that's really missing for me is like a powerful 808 presence. I learned how to make an 808. I, you know, composed a trap beat myself. That was like one of my first times ever doing that. And in doing so, I was able to kind of like unlock a new, like a new capability in my repertoire, right? It's something that wouldn't have come across. I wouldn't have come across it unless I had pushed myself to learn something new or try something new. And I can promise you, if you were, to, if you're, you know, someone who's trying to get into the mixing circuit in some way, it's never going to happen on your first try. You almost always have to try it for like a few hours, maybe sleep on it, wake up the next day, try it a few more hours, and it takes time. And that's why I've also come, I, I've also started kind of um, learning to not promise that I will have a mix by a particular date, because that is also something that doesn't always work out. But I guess, long story short, I think the best way to push through a creative block is not necessarily just to sleep on it or think about it more, but actually actively think about what is it in your tool, what is missing in your toolbox and always being open to learning like, oh, you see a particular, um, you know, FX in your FX toolkit or, you know, maybe see a particular filter that you've never tried before. Just try it see what happens, right? I think that's been where some of my biggest growth as a mixer has come. Right. I think it's, um, that's a really, like, the really good piece of advice that even, like, I think somewhere I also needed to hear. I think it's, <laughs> it's like, it, it won't always happen on your first try. And I think that, like, mindset, especially not only for mixing, but I think for like, any type of art, especially, is, like, 
like I think a lot of times like people feel like discouraged after doing it a couple times it doesn't work out or something along those lines where just like you start to kind of question yourself like am I actually capable of you know handling this project or handling this this creative idea that I have and I think it's I think sitting on the idea sometimes and being able to think about it and just process it I think that's like the part where it like grows the most is because you're challenging yourself with ideas and kind of building off of your own ideas as well, like your own mindset. And I think that sort of like, uh, like way of thinking, I think is really important, especially for not only for mixes, but I think for just kind of anything, I think it's, it's, um, I think it's like conducive, especially for like your thought process, but also for kind of like the work you're doing. So hundred percent. I'm, I'm really yeah. glad that you're like, you share that for sure. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you're being receptive to that. I would, I would even add one more thing to that is I think one of the biggest balances that I've had, a, you know, a pretty big struggle, struggle trying to keep with is making sure I keep my individuality and my identity as a mixer in my sound while also not being afraid to push those boundaries and try making new stuff. Because I think uh, for me, uh, one of my most like popular sets of mixes is like this, this, this playlist I have called like sad boy hours. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, every once in a while I'll just like go and make something and it's, it's so natural to me for some reason, I'm very good at making lyrical, pretty and sad things. Um, but the thing is, that's not necessarily everything that people want to hear. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that I will stop making sad music and I will only focus on hype music, but at the same time, I think it's important for me in my journey as a musician also to like try to try new things um, and I think striking that balance is so difficult, right? And also to even add to that, um, finding the opportunities that that vibe with you, right? I think uh, at first I had to cater to the Pokemon Circuit because that is where I got my start. And over time I found like, oh, there's other places, there are other places in DDN, hell, there are other places just in the world that require mixes of certain types. And maybe they're more, you know, uh, maybe they're more conducive to the sort of style that I put out, not necessarily keeping yourself closed minded to saying, this is where I've started. So this is where I have to be for the rest of my life. Right. Like where your audience will indefinitely change. And along with that, you also will start finding more comfort within your own skin as a mixer. Right. So always finding striking that balance is, Pushing your pushing limits of your repertoire, pushing the limits of what you are capable of doing, while also staying true to yourself, and you know, really asking yourself once in a while, are you happy doing what you are doing, or are you just doing this because this is where you've always been? I think uh, that's definitely been a learning process for me personally, and also not yeah. being discouraged when your audience maybe you know turns turns their head on you, and maybe like they don't really like what you're making anymore. That's fine. That's perfectly fine. That is all a part of music making and uh, not taking that personally and learning where you do fit in because that'll continuously change. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think uh, I kind of want to like, thank you for kind of like putting that out there because I think it's something that's not talked about enough is that like, not necessarily motivation, but like that, like the way of thinking, like how you can gauge yourself and, and kind of think about, like what you're trying to do and how you're going to get there. I think that's very like, it's very important to talk about. And especially it's, um, especially today when there's a lot of like 
distractions. There's a lot of things like taking away from kind of like your goals. And for, especially for a lot of younger people or for newer artists, it's kind of break into like that market. It doesn't necessarily have to be making the biggest song or like the most successful song. I mean, that's great and everything, but it's also like how many people are you reaching? How many, yeah, how many people are you resonating with? And potentially even like how many lives can you like kind of, you know, change? How many mindsets can you like change with like the things that you're creating? And I think that's like the best part about it. I think, especially like, like after talking to you a little bit about it, it's just like, it's always a learning curve. Like it's never going to be right the first time. It's never going to be right the first 20 times. Who knows? Like it's always just, you keep trying and you trying and then you just eventually just pieces itself together and then it just works out. So I think like that mentality is definitely one that should be, I think we can focus more on that for sure. Yeah. There's a, there's a YouTuber that I follow and I think, so his name is a grand line review. Anyone who watches one piece or reads one piece will probably know him. He's one of the most famous One Piece YouTubers. One Piece, by the way, is a manga slash anime. And um, he has this side channel called Dude in a Room. And that was a very big, like, kind of creative inspiration for me because he talks about his process of getting started on YouTube and, uh, you know, reaching bigger audiences and stuff. And, like, I by no means have, like, a huge audience or anything like that. But I do aspire to have a bigger audience. And I think some of the things that he was saying about, like, oh, um, release often, release stuff often, make stuff, put stuff out there. And also don't necessarily, um, you know, expect your first thing to be your masterpiece. I think that struck a chord with me because that was a big frustration for me is when I made my first few mixes, I was like, why is this not sounding like my peers, other people that mix? Why is it not hype? Why is it not, you know, emotionally potent? What is missing? And I think for me, it was just a process of throwing a bunch of stuff out there. I mean, I'll go through my SoundCloud sometimes and like, you know, anything below like the first 20 most recent mixes, I'll just cringe at because I'm just like, oh God, like this is an old version of me and I just sound very different now. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's important to not fall victim to the pursuit of perfection. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I agree with that kind of as we're kind of nearing like the end of our of our time limit for the episode um if you had to give one piece of advice to pass on to not only when anyone else that's interested in mixing but anyone that wants to give mixing a shot even um to anyone that's listening like what is one piece of advice that you would kind of like to pass on to them Ooh. um well, besides the stuff that I was saying earlier about just like trying stuff until something works, uh, I guess one other thing that I could add to that would be something like do stuff that sounds good to you and more than likely someone else will also find it good. Don't necessarily try to put yourself in the shoes of someone else. Unless you need to, right? Like, I mean, if you're if you're mixing for a team, then you kind of have to put yourself in their shoes and be like, oh, this is what they want. But if you're just starting out and you want to get your feet wet, like, do stuff that you like listening to, and it, inevitably, other people will also like it. I think uh, that's something that is uh, that that's a very understated advice nowadays because of the internet and because you go on, you know, whenever you go online on social media, you see 
all these people that you want to be like. And uh, it's, you know, trying to be like others or trying to be some perfect version of yourself is almost over, um, over fetishized in our society nowadays. I think it's important to just stay true to what you like and more than likely someone else will also, you know, retweet. Right. <clears throat> I just wanted to kind of say thank you for kind of taking the time to kind of join our little community at that. I'm trying to kind of grow a little bit as well, but trying to like sharing your story. And I think it's one that at least for me, I can very much relate with as well because not only like our like musical background similar, but it's like, like just like the whole thought process of like, like never giving up, staying true to who you are and kind of resonating that throughout the episode. I just kind of wanted to kind of say thank you, but, but kind of before we call it wraps here, I kind of wanted to put the spotlight on you. So let the people know what you got going on, where, where we can find your music, where people can reach out to you. Just it's all on you, man. Oh man. Well, before anything else, I also want to thank you. Um, this is a great opportunity. I think, uh, even though this is just a third episode, I see the the, the passion and the, the the mission that you're bringing, and I think it's this is going to blow up real quick. <laughs> oh, thanks. That so, means that means the world to me. No, no, awesome. it's it's always fun to see people that are um, you know secure in their mission and secure in their purpose. So um, yeah, I guess you can find me on Instagram, TikTok. On, uh, SoundCloud is the main one. So SoundCloud is where most uh, Bhangra and, you know, DDN mixers in general usually are. So I post my stuff under Swiss Cheesy. Um, that is spelled with an S. I think a lot of people make the mistake of putting C-H-E-E-Z-Y. Maybe I should have done that. Maybe that would have <laughs> caught on more. Who knows? <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, I, on, I I post shorts on Instagram, uh, shorts on YouTube, I mean, and uh, Instagram reels and stuff like that. Um, I also have a dancer Insta- uh, uh, dancer account, um, Piss Easy Bungranian, <laughs> if anyone's curious in that. Um, there's a long story behind that, uh, maybe for another day. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, would love it if you would listen. And if, if there's, if you guys are into particularly, you know, emotionally potent music, I, I, I do have my Sad Boy Hours, uh, part two through six are out. Maybe would maybe might be working on seventh soon. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, just one last disclaimer for everyone: for anyone that's interested in learning more about Vanith, you can also catch us boat dancing at Knox to Cleveland in two weeks in Cleveland. <laughs> we will both be dancing there, so <laughs> you can also see us yeah. there. Um, for anyone yeah, that you know wants to, teams. yeah, if anybody wants to take like a, a a road trip to come see us, please do. We'll be there. <laughs> um but yeah just kind of thank you again for taking the time out and just kind of and joining me so um thanks yeah thanks for having me up here